Listeners, welcome to another episode. We are excited to have two amazing guests. I'm Drew Kumlo, joined by the host, Andy Little. Hi, everybody. Two awesome guests who are known to this show. We have Rachel Mon, Metal Sharky. Thank you for joining us. These are two amazing female physicians. We want to have them on, particularly to talk about this topic today about overwork, because I think they understand it maybe better than Andy and I do, although all four of us are very, very guilty of this. Definitely guilty. So guilty. So as we get started, I want to just ask some questions and you don't have to answer out loud if you want to, but the listeners think about these answers too. You might feel overworked if the following are true. You can't remember the last time you had a true day off. You feel like you're living at your desk or in the hospital. You're working every waking hour and then some. All you can think about is how much work you must do in your to-do list all the time. You're starting to feel like a robot. You can't even remember what it feels like to relax at home or with your kids or on vacation. You feel like you're going to explode from all the stress. <laughs> this is a, this is an audio only podcast, but as I'm saying, the Sharky's Everyone eyes are getting bigger not. and bigger. <laughs> She's getting... All of them are positive. Right? I just all of a sudden have the Mr. Roboto song in my head. <laughs> yeah, you feel like every day is Groundhog's Day at work. Your family and friends are starting to worry about you, and you need to figure out how much more of this you can take. I do get periodic WhatsApp messages from my mom, like. Hey, I haven't heard from you in six months. <laughs> oh, geez. Six months is an exaggeration. I was gonna say, I was it's a very gonna... heavy exaggeration. Yeah. But, but cuz I, I found a list of like the questions you should ask yourself if you're overworked and if more than 3 of these are the case and I'm like, oh no. What three? happens if it's that was t- cut three? Off? Oh, no. What happens if it's 10 for 10? Like what the garbage? I think it's so it'd be interesting for you to fill it out and then the, your your spouse or, you know, who your somebody else to be like this is what I think your answers yeah. You might think are. it's three out of ten, yeah. but you're at least a seven. Yeah. Like, let's put this in perspective. I feel at least Some a honesty. seven. You feel like seven. There were a couple of theirs there that you're like. Couple, I do make time every now and then to take like a full day and like go in the woods mm-hmm. and yeah. not have my phone and hang out with my little family. Yeah, hang out with Mother Nature and your family. Yeah. So interestingly, I think I was really there six months ago, and now I can honestly say no to a lot of those questions, which feels really good, and we can get into that. Part of it is might be that I'm back into a stage of denial. I mean, I'm, I'm willing to <laughs> completely admit that, but y- y- there, there are things we can do to pull back from overwork. But we're, we're all at slightly different stages of our professional careers, but we're all under 10 years out of residency. So anywhere between three and pushing 10 um, years eight, eight. out, pushing yeah. 10 years out. And I think one of the things that we should talk about first is the natural evolution as there are two types of emergency medicine physicians. There's lots of types, but really there are those that are worker bees. And, and I very much value the worker bee that shows up for their shifts, is willing to work extra shifts, but that's what they do. And then there are those of us, the four of us and many others that have done academics or administration or a combination of the above and are trying to find a niche in emergency medicine that is beyond just showing up and doing shift work. And that position is the position where you really set yourself up in the first several years out of practice to be overworked because you have to say yes. But at some point, you have to find a limit and start saying no, and that's such a hard thing to find. Yeah, I, when, as, you, as you say that, I remember reading 
in, in a book about professional work that you actually have to work harder in the beginning of your career for the ending of it to end the way you want it to. Whereas a lot of people, the reason why they struggle with retirement and they struggle with that last five to 10 year period is they didn't put enough work working early to be able to enjoy that last five, 10 years and be able to leave on their own terms. But the problem with medicine, I find, is that we've already worked so much to get to here. You know, you think the sacrifices to go to med school and then residency to think that I have to do that for another five to 10 years to then enjoy 50 plus just seems daunting, borderline inappropriate and not very fun. Sad. You guys have got all the feelings right now. I can tell you. All the feelings. (laughs) Well, I will say like when I first started, I did more just clinical work and it felt like a hangover after you work four or five shifts in a row. And then that day off while you didn't have any admin responsibilities, you still had life that you had to catch up with. So I think that even though I am probably doing more now, the fact that I have these other slices of the pie that are on my plate, I'm not feeling as hungover because there's just different areas of my brain, different areas of my life that are coming together versus just straight going to work, clocking in, clocking out. So there is some longevity there that I feel like I'm establishing, but it the plate does get full and high very quickly because I have a difficult time saying no. On the flip side to that, so I started in academics straight out of fellowship. And so my workload immediately was split between clinical shifts and other stuff. And I found in that environment, I was learning how to be an attending, but I was also learning how to do all of the other things because no, I mean, you don't graduate knowing how to do your first big kid job and all the administrative things and educational things that go along with it. So the first few years out for me have been just literally learning how to do all the things. And that process is intense because you graduate residency and you're like, yeah, I made it. I know stuff. And then you don't. So I don't know. Sometimes I think just starting off with clinical work is a boon in some ways. But so there's definitely a flip side to both coins. We were just talking yesterday, Rachel, that you feel as though you've swung too far away from clinical work and you actually need to be working more clinically because you're underdeveloping that part of your professional career. And that's a weird place to be. You're like, no, I want less admin and more clinical, at least in the three year out phase, right? That's something that you hear sometimes like 10 years out, like, Ooh, I need to pull back on some of my other jobs. I just want to work a little more clinically. It's an interesting, it's an interesting mix and finding that balance. I think Sharky, you are so right in that the variation is what has actually saved me. And I found a little more variation. I was able to pull back a little bit clinically and I was able to make my Monday through Friday eight to four plate really full. Mm -hmm. But then I am much more able to shut it down come dinner time and spend quality time with my family, which to me was became the focus when I was answering yes to a lot of the questions that Andy first said. And I, I need to make some changes because my professional life is fine, but my personal life is not what I want it to be. I'm not the husband, the father, the person I want to be. I'm not present. And so then figuring out how you, you create that balance, you can be present when you want to be, not just present for work, which is great, but I mean, that's not the end goal in life. No. I think the the do not disturb function, I've been using that a lot more to, to so that it forces me to be present, like on my phone, five to eight every night that's on. But I do think that like my free time now looks very different than, you know, 10 years ago when I didn't have kids because now free time. I don't understand what this free time you just mentioned is. So that restorative free time me time has gotten more. It's a smaller amount of time, but it has to be very deliberate because otherwise it's just it's not going to come to fruition. 
So you guys both brought up things that <clears throat> some like some tools and things you've done to make your time go spend better. But what were the signs for you that this needed to happen? I guess that's where to start. Like we answered those questions. A lot of the yeses, a lot of no's, or a lot of yeses, some no's. What was the moment that you said, this is it, I've got to figure something out? I think for me, when I had an opportunity that I would have genuinely been excited to do, but I had to quit because I knew that I couldn't do a good job at that thing. So I think when you get to a point where you realize that, okay, I am doing all of these things, but perhaps I'm not doing any of them all that well. And it's better to maybe narrow down and focus so that you can you know, complete the tasks and the activities and things that matter most to you well. And there will always be someone else to pick up the other little bits and pieces. And no one will die if you don't do them. I think we have this misconception that if we don't do this, then nobody will do it. It's just going to flounder. Life will go on. Those organizations will go on. Those meetings will go on with or without you. And so knowing that you bowing out isn't going to be the death of something else was like a little freeing because then it's like, okay, well, this doesn't end with me. And you give someone else the opportunity to then maybe step in and fill that spot who wouldn't have had it otherwise. Yeah, it's in, when you guys did say that, I, I read an interesting uh, essay, and it basically talked about the first 72 hours after you die, what happens. And we don't need to get morbid, but... It's grim. <laughs> but talked about the different people, like, here's what your spouse is going to do, here's what your kids are going to do, and then this is what your employer is going to do. Yeah. Your employer is going to send an email that says... We are so sorry to tell everybody that Andy Little has died from the following. He was a great employee. We loved him working here. Please send roses or donations to the following website, his wife has said. And then 30 minutes later, he's going to craft an email to HR and say, hey, we need to post a job. Right. That's right. So it doesn't matter how long you've been <laughs> in that company. That's the reality is that there's going to be a 30-minute window where there is praise for you and what you've done. And they will just find somebody else to do your job. And I read that and it was just like. That's brutal. I know. I was. It, true, it was very it, true. Though. It was brutal. Yeah. Like I read it, and I was like, "But, but I bring so much to work." But really, at the end of the day, they're just going to call replaceable. HR yeah. and say, "We need to fill this position." Here's the paragraph, and it was truly one of those aha moments where I was like, "Why am I doing all this crap?" And that's when Drew and I decided to say no to everything, and then we had to say yes to some stuff and blew up our blew up our plan yeah. for 2022. Well, I, I, we self corrected. It yeah. sounds. I remember having a conversation with you, yeah. Sharky, a, a year ago, mm-hmm. give or take a month or so where I was like, I cannot say yes to anything else. I have to, st- I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to offload. And that was a time where I was just constantly felt that I, I have, I have all these things to do. I have to do, I have all this work. I, I cannot unbury myself. And really what it was is that it actually wasn't the workload. It was that I was doing things that I wasn't fully engaged with, that I wasn't fully invested in. And I was stressed because there was stuff to do that I just didn't want to do. I wasn't interested in doing. And so it truly became work. And so I did say no to some things and I offloaded some stuff from my plate. And then I ironically took several more things onto my plate too, but things that I'm much more passionate about, but also things that I control a little bit better or at least fit the hours of the day that I'm willing to put more effort into them. So they're not late nights, they're not weekends, they're, I mean, it truly is that, that working, working time. And I could pull back a little bit on shift work. And then all of a sudden, I mean, I don't think I'm doing any less work than I was a year ago. I'm probably doing more work than I was a year ago, but I feel so much less stressed than I was a year ago, which is a really interesting thing to say, like, I'm actually doing more. I've taken on more, but it feels so much better. Those those passion projects can be restorative too, right? Because now you have control over your time, 
and your energy and the direction that you're taking things. And so even though it does seem like, okay, we're doing more things, if you're getting something out of those things, personal satisfaction doesn't feel as much like work anymore. We're excited to introduce a new sponsor of the EM Over Easy podcast, IV Clinicians. IV has solved the problem we've faced every time we've changed clinical jobs. That is where to find the information about emergency medicine employers. Led by an emergency physician, IV makes it simple to look for places you'd want to work. On IV's site, you can search by region or city, filter by your personal preferences, and connect with the in-house recruiter of that specific emergency department. Your CV goes only to the ED's employer so you don't get spammed from other random recruiters. Ivy has more info about every ED in the country than we've ever seen anywhere else. Ivy Clinicians is the Zillow of the emergency medicine job market. Like Zillow, Ivy is free for clinicians, and Ivy even sends you a signing bonus of champagne and coffee if you get hired through their site. So go check them out at ivyclinicians.io today. One other strategy I think we were discussing yesterday too, Drew, is getting people to help you with something. So do you have to be the person who does every single piece, every single detail of whatever project it is? Or can you be more of a delegator and a director and help steer, you know, this is what we're going to do with this. These are tasks that I can offload to someone else so that this whole project can move forward. And maybe that's something that requires departmental support or things like that. But I think you know, we can still be involved in a lot of stuff, but maybe at a different level. It's a weird analogy, but, you know, you think of in the Navy, there's the captain of the ship and then there's the XO. Really, the captain of the ship sets the course, but he has a lot of people or she has a lot of people that are actually driving the boat, right? And so sometimes we can be the captain, we can set the course, but we don't have to do the minutia of every turn and, and every acceleration, deceleration. Sometimes then we do have to do that role, but it offloads a ton from your plate when you can set a course and then walk away from a little bit and just engage when you need to, as opposed to always being engaged in, in that specific project. And if you don't set your own course, if you don't set your career up the way you want it to be, someone else will. So if you don't decide, these are the things I'm interested in, this what is what you need. I want to do, then you will just get given all of the other stuff that nobody else wanted. And then all of a sudden your career is not what you envisioned at all. Yeah. I, as you guys are saying this, I, I there was a six month period I don't know, like my second year out of residency. It was right after you became faculty, actually, I remember. I remember this period where, I don't know, I, I was literally just doing all the stuff that we wanted to do. And I literally, I remember I went to Bill and I was like, I don't want to do this stuff anymore. And he was like, well, if you don't do it. And I was like, no, 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 I know somebody else is going to do it. Somebody else can do this. And I just offloaded a little bit and my life got better and the stuff got done that I was doing and it was restorative. And then, of course, I piled on a bunch of other stuff that I wasn't doing before. And that's my chronic problem, which is why as we talk about this, I'm the biggest hypocrite at the table as we talk about overwork. <laughs> My, like my husband is the one that will often check me to be like, you have too much going on. You need to take something off. So he's going to roll his eyes when he listens to this podcast. <laughs> he's like, you are not the right person to talk about this. It's funny that because in personal life, I am the one that is pulling my wife back. I'm like, yeah. you are not volunteering for another position. Like, no, what are you you're going <laughs> to, you're driving yourself crazy. What are you doing? And then and then I have that moment. I'm like, and then if I look at me professionally, I'm having the same, you know, it's, yeah. it's just we have different, give and take. different. Yeah, it's a total give and take. <laughs> so if you were to give somebody tips, so well, Rook, I want to ask one question. Rachel, you're the only one here that did a fellowship. So do you feel that doing a fellowship gave you clearer focus on what you wanted to do? Absolutely. Or, and why? So I think for 
me. I chose EMS Fellowship for some of the reasons that Mena was talking about earlier about longevity. And so having something else that you are interested in that you can do outside of clinical work. And for me, it was the most fun and interesting like subspecialty in emergency medicine. And so my fellowship, I was very fortunate gave me a broad exposure to all of the even different sub-subfields in EMS. And that knowledge and experience gave me a ton of focus about what I wanted to do and what I was interested in. And so when I was looking for jobs, the University of Arizona was like, we need someone to come in and do EMS education. And I was like, that's fantastic because that's one of the things that I love. So I had the knowledge and skill set and also the opportunity yeah. to like really beeline into this amazing position that I wouldn't have. And unlike most people who would, that'd be really cool. You also had like the background of, I did a fellowship and you could show the next You had the skill set to be high functioning in that position right away. And because again, I, I know as people are listening to this, like a fellowship is something that the three other three of us didn't do. I feel like a fellowship might've helped clear up some of this stuff, but it's also not for everybody. Cause again, most people are going to be the worker bees and every department needs a ton of worker bees compared to like one or two people that do this admin, administrative burden. So that's why I wanted it. Look, to be fair, Andy, I mean, all three of us beyond Rachel, who did this specific fellowship, as we grew in our academic roles, did dedicated work oh, no, through, yeah. through various programs to start honing in on our specialty. And so I, it's not a traditional fellowship by any stretch, and I'm not going to claim to be fellowship trained. We have, we have done the add-ons to bring into focus the parts of our career that we really want to develop and, and where we want to go. It just, it was a backwards approach or a different approach as opposed to doing the fellowship first and then having a clear direction. It was kind of like, what direction am I going in? I think I like this. Now I pursue more training development in this and, and that furthers you on that role. No, I absolutely think fellowships, I mean, it's not for everybody. And, and when anyone asks me, this is kind of a side topic about fellowship advice. It really is decide what you want out of it. And if that year is not going to get you to that goal, then perhaps that's not the right next step. And maybe it is doing some clinical work or, I mean, there are tons of courses on literally every single thing that you could want to learn more about. And like you guys have said, help grow your interests and your like competency in specific areas. So if you were to give somebody who, like many of us at this table, at one time felt overburdened by working too much, what would be your big take-home and piece of advice? I think make sure you know who you can trust to say, like, you're overdoing it. Because sometimes you do need somebody else to be the observer. So having a dedicated person to be like, I need you to call me out on this yeah. when this spills over into other parts of my life. Because when person comes to shove, you're going to give yourself a ton of personal grace in this department and be right. like, oh, I'm doing, I'm fine. Yeah. They could, I just need you know. to get to end of next yeah. week yeah. and then yeah. it'll be fine. Yeah. You need somebody who can pull yeah. out a red card and be like, no, you said that for three months yeah. now. <laughs> Remember, let's, let's I feel do the, so called out right now. Let's do, <laughs> let's do the playback. What, the, what does the video say? Oh, June 1st, oh, yeah. July 1st, oh, August right. 1st. November 1st. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So close. I think for me, it is... Trying to make your brain understand that the world will not fall apart when you say no. So I think a lot of us are high achieving in medicine and a lot of us are also, we desire to help and to please people, but we do have to understand our own limitations. And so if you can tell yourself, 
I truly don't have the capacity to do this thing well right now. And also it will not collapse if I don't do it. And I think if you can set that mindset, it helps you be better able to pick and choose what activities and projects that you take on. And then you can be happy about them and do them well. I think one of the things to figure out is when you feel overworked, when you've, when you're reaching your limits, ask yourself, what is it that is making me feel that way? So for me now, when I continuously approach something that is work that is on my to-do list and I don't want to, right? It waits to the last minute. I'm not excited to do it. Then I need to start thinking about, is this something that needs to come off my plate? Because I don't need the stress of being stressed out about just even thinking about doing something as opposed to this is something I'm excited about doing. Yes, it is work, but I, but I want to do this work. And you can't just say one time, oh, this is too much. I'm not interested in doing it because we all go through those phases. But if every month or every time that task comes up, it's something that is that is adding undue angst and stress, then it's something that you need to offload. And then don't view that as a failure. View it as an opportunity to offer something to somebody else, open a door for somebody else. Because I bet almost every single time you need to offload something from your plate, there is somebody who wants to do that so they can get their foot in that door. And and finally, I've had the opportunity to do that on a couple of occasions and it's worked out really well. I feel good about it. I feel good because I've gotten it off my plate, but I also feel good because I've given that opportunity to somebody else who is excited about it. And so now has the bandwidth to do it and, and is going to now do it better than I was doing it because I was doing it to get by, not to excel. Yeah, I, I love that you bring that up because it's we've talked about in previous episodes that the benefit of saying no is that there's two ways to say no. There's a flat out no, and it's no, but I know somebody who can do that for you. And you can leverage your mentee mentorship or the other people that have sponsored you because that's how I think everybody at this table. I mean, 90% of my opportunities are because somebody else said no. And they thought of my name and they're like, well, call Andy or call Drew or call Mental. So it's, you leverage that. And, and my, my big piece of advice is take a day off. And I'm, as I say this, I got three sets of eyes staring at me, but I can tell you there is, Rachel brought it up. I do one day a month or I schedule, this is a day off. I don't turn my phone on. I don't bring my laptop. I pick an activity and I go do it and leave all the stuff that could, that could get a hold of me in the car. And it's truly releasing to remind myself that like, this is who I was before college. It reminds me when I was a kid and I just go play in the Creek. Wouldn't think about anything. I had to be home by dinner. And so go have some of those days where you just wake up at eight, put your electronic devices in your car and go do something, whether it's go for a walk, go for a hike, go to the beach, go to a park, go do something to where you just fulfill yourself for, for an eight hour period, knowing that every email you have to catch up with later, 95% of them are garbage. So just delete them. Most of the people that called you got the information from somebody else and they couldn't get a hold of you and just dedicate that to yourself. Cause it's been, it's been really releasing for me since I started. Did you really just say wake up at eight o'clock? That is sleeping in for me. That, that I, I have not seen eight o'clock on my watch when I woke up in years, unless it's after a shift that I got home well after midnight. Well, I do not. I do well, not understand this concept you're well, talking well, about. Well, let, and, and let me say, I said eight o'clock for other people, knowing that I typically wake up at five. But like eight o'clock is a reasonable time for the average person to wake up. So, but whatever your eight-hour time period is, like take it. And everybody is just shaking their head at me. Uh, no, I'm, I'm telling the, you, if I see seven o'clock on the weekends, I'm like, this is this is amazing. Oh, I'm the opposite. 
I'm a night owl. So yeah, if, if I see 8 a.m. on the weekends and I am not working a clinical shift, I am annoyed. Yes. I yes. am angry right now. This is a problem. But again, pick... Why aren't my blackout curtains working? <laughs> my eye thing didn't... My eye thing fell off in bed. But, but pick a day a month to just completely unplug. Yes. I do a day a month because it's what works best with my schedule, but pick a frequency. Well, and I think the important part is that you find a way, you find a mechanism, you find a cadence to stay in touch with the essence of you, right? Because you're you're not all work. You're also not all family or whatever. You, there, there is a you that exists outside of all that. And you have to find that time for you to exist as just you. Well, thanks so much, Rachel and Mental, for hopping on for this session. Okay. Again, as you're, if you're listening and you're wondering, I'm the biggest hypocrite of the four people here. So take everybody else's advice and realize that I'm speaking from this hope that one day I'll be able to get there. But if you do like what you've listened to, don't forget to check us out on all of our social media pages, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget we are the official podcast of the American College of Osteopathic Physicians. And you can learn more about that organization by going to acoap.org. Mm-hmm.